we'll we'll take if you want to take communion on your own that's fine that's between you and God if you want to wait and take it with us that's fine too but uh, we'll just go ahead and go from here amen If you, don't, if you don't want to take it, you don't have to take it. That's fine. I will not condemn those who don't. Examine yourself before you take it. That's what the word said, do, yeah? Lord, search my heart. You know my ways, Father. Thank you, Father. So if you haven't done so, go ahead and take the, hold the bread. Lord, I thank you that you chose to allow yourself to be beaten for our healing, Lord Jesus. It's above and beyond, Father would have been enough to just save us. But I thank you, Jesus, that every step you took toward the cross, you did so willingly. So I thank you for what you did, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Go ahead and take the bread. Jesus, thank you for your shed blood. You paid the price for my sin, a price which I could not repay. All to bring me into your family, to bring me into fellowship with you, closeness with you. So I, I, I remember your sacrifice. I remember what you did. And I thank you that you did it for me and that you did it for everyone here. Thank you, Jesus, and I praise you. And in your name I pray. Amen. Go ahead and take the cup. All right. I'm going to go ahead and bring up Danny now. Danny, you can use either the handheld microphone or I have an ear set right there. Yeah. Deborah, do you need prayer? Always. Always. Let's pray for Deborah.
Danny's guest speaking for me this morning. Praise God. Okay, so you guys can, uh, I'll let you introduce your, I mean, he, you all know him anyway, but for those of you who don't, I'm sure he'll, he'll love to tell you all about him, right? His whole life story. Yeah. 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 The biography is coming out next June. No. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor. I appreciate y'all so much. Uh, God is good all the time. It's amazing. We've been walking with the Lord for 43 years now on the front line of ministry all around the world. And it's amazing how many things we're still surprised or shocked or awakened to the mercies, the glory, and the power, and the miracle of God. Nothing happens by happenstance. Nothing's by accident. Nothing is coincidence. Everything is planned and ordered, the Bible says, by God. And this is a special occasion for us. Tina and I, my wife of 46 years, we just celebrated our 48th anniversary of our first date. We, just, we still celebrate our first date, and I'm glad she's with us today. A lot of times I'm up here, she's not with us because she's got her own ministries and things she's doing, and I'm always glad to have her with me. And But we had planned to preach at another church in San Antonio this Sunday, and was preparing a message for them, and then a pastor called, said they had to change it, it's not going to be available, and uh, wanted me to reschedule, and so I said, well, we got a free weekend, and we really have a desire to come and sit among you, just to be fed, just to be encouraged, just to listen to praise and worship, and letting the pastor feed us with what God's laid on his heart, and as we talked about it the night before, this is honest, goodness, true story, We'd made a commitment like, well, let's just go up to Cedar Creek this Sunday. And I got up the next morning, and there's a text from your pastor. And he says, brother, I realize we haven't had you like in a year, and I'm so sorry, but we've got a three weeks left. If you'd like to come any of these weeks, we'd love to have you. I go, no, come on. Like, this is like a joke, you know. And so we called, and we talked, and we visited, and we decided that he said, I'd love you to come up and bring a message this morning. So I, I feel robbed in a sense because I really wanted the week off and just sit and be fed and be taken care of. Uh, so, so, so I'll have to go to work now. But uh, just to catch you up a little bit about Special Forces, you know, this is one of the oldest churches that has always sponsored and stood behind us and for over 30 years, over three decades and so I want you to know that even though God allows me to speak in churches with hundreds and sometimes thousands of people, we feel most at home. We feel most comfortable in this setting. This is who we are. This, we're just country folks. We're just simple people. We just have a heart for God. And it's just regular people, everyday people in a small nucleus, a small family that there's power in, that they know each other, they pray for each other, and lift each other up. And so every month when we get a little encouragement from your church and we get a little offering, it means the world to us. Not because it's like going to set everything, the world on fire and death free, but it's to say that we're connected with you. We haven't forgot you. Wherever you're at today, we're praying for you. And that means the world to us. The last year or two for all of us has been very tough, very strenuous, very challenging. And for Tina and I personally, it's been a lot. Both of us have been in the hospital in the last few months, uh, two weeks ago, I was in the hospital. They were putting three stents in my heart, and uh, they said, you could drop any time now, <laughs> and, and I said, well, I won't miss that date, I promise you, okay? We have an appointment we're not going to miss, 
But my trust is in the Lord. Whether it's another day or not, we're going to follow the Lord. And uh, they put me in and put three stints in, and really I feel like uh, I'm back to normal. Uh, the amazing part about it, you get my monthly letter, and I try to always be transparent and vulnerable with you. You know, I'm the senior chaplain with the San Antonio Police Department. I've been on the front line, as we said, for 43 years. About four or five years ago, things really started affecting me greatly, emotionally. Uh, Post-traumatic stress, uh, STS, uh, compassion fatigue, all these things. And this is what you get when you're on the front line of warfare. There's things that I've observed and I've watched and I've seen that really the human mind cannot comprehend. You're not meant to see these things. And when you start having nightmares nightly and when you start crying at when you're going down the street or when you're at the park or you're at the golf course, something is snapped inside. Something is broke inside. And I say this to be a testimony to you. I don't care how big you are, how tough you are, how young you are, how strong you are, how brave you are. You're still a human being. You still get affected by emotions and trauma and loss. When I had to start doing more and more death notifications of officers killed in the line of duty or I had to go to somebody, maybe an officer's daughter died in a car wreck going to college, and there's such heartache when you have to go do a death notification, you have to be the one to reveal this tragedy to them, and then you have to walk among them in their own sorrow and brokenness. It just You become part of it. You, your empathy makes you feel their pain. And for a long time, Pastor, you know, when you're young, you, you deal with it. You're professional. You handle it. It's what we're called to do. God gives us the strength and we do it. But somewhere in all of this, you start realizing after four decades of service uh, that you can't hold anymore. The emotion is too great. And uh, I told the chief's office, I, I can't do any death, more death notifications. I can't walk among uh, that tragedy is like an officer down. Uh, I don't want to be the first at the scene. I don't want to be with the officer when he takes his last breath. I don't want to have to stay with him and his body until they release him to the morgue. Uh, no longer do I feel capable of handling that kind of situation. And then COVID come. And it swept across the country. Millions of people dying. In our own circle, there was a time when COVID first came out that we didn't even know somebody who knew somebody who had COVID. I'm thinking they're making way too much of this thing. It's blown out proportion. Suddenly you got this friend and that friend and this officer and this family and this person and that pastor. And churches are closed down. And we're going, wow. it's, it's everywhere. And then they start dying. And suddenly I'm preaching for pastors who are in the hospital with COVID, them and their family. And his wife dies, and his board member dies, and his elder dies. And next thing you know, I'm preaching for him on Sunday, doing all the services, funerals, one after another throughout the week. This last week, for instance, we did three funeral services. Most of them are friends. Most of them are people we know well. The loss is even greater, more painful. So I asked the people, I asked my board members, I asked my teammates, those people who support us, rally around us, pray for us, you're going to have to help me, man, because I am like an emotional wreck. I, I'm just like so distraught with dealing with so much sorrow. I could see a, hear a simple song and I'd start crying. I could see a puppy in the grass and I'd cry. I'd see a little baby back there raising his hands in praise and I would cry. Not because I'm necessarily sad, it's just that the emotions are just pouring out. 
when I went to the doctor, he said, we got to put some stents in your heart. You're very healthy. You're very strong, you know. I said, uh, uh, let me tell you, I'm 65 now. I'm telling you, there was a long time, most of my life, I thought 65 is very, very old and ancient than poor people. When you get here, it don't seem that old, okay? It don't look as old on this side, okay? And I feel like 20, and I, and I act like 30, and I, and I go 100 miles an hour, but the doctor says there's taking a toll, and the two worst things you have in your life is a genetic breakdown in all your family. You can't change the DNA. What they have is passed down to you, and you have a bad artery, the widow maker, which is bad. None of the other arteries are bad. Nothing else is bad, but you have a genetic defect. And he said, but it's induced and it's inflamed by stress. He says, you've got to get stress out of your life. And I said, Doc, do you have any idea what I do? (laughs) What I do is nothing but stress in a sense. And so Tina and I, after 43 years of ministry, we're in that process now of starting to transition into less stress. And part of that less stress comes with being with God's people Rejoicing in God's praise and worship and hearing from God's word that will mold us and strengthen us and challenge for the week to come. I want to take just a moment and thank the church for this. I will adopt this. I love this. You don't know what that is. You see at the end of your pew there, at the end of your row, uh, you have uh, the notes. And so they called and said, what are your, your, your verses you'll be using? And I gave them some. And I showed up this morning. And I said, hey, guest speaker, Danny Hubble, that ought to be good. <laughs> I hope he don't disappoint himself. And then I notice all the verses are written out. And that's very important to me personally because, like I told you, I'm getting old. I, my hearing's gone. My, my seeing's gone. I always bring the word of God. I believe in the word of God. Faith coming by hearing, hearing by the word of God. It's the word of God that changes life, impacts life, molds life, saves lives. And so I believe in the word of God. But oftentimes people don't see me open it and they go, is he preaching that word? No, no, I'll tell you. I type it all out in large print, okay? It's all typed out for me in large print. It's the word of God. You can back it up, okay? I still use the King James Version. I know that they put down the New King James, which I love, and and I love a lot of the modern English versions, so I I do that. But I use King James because there's some churches that I'm asked to speak at that don't use anything but King James. I find everybody will accept it, but some won't accept anything but it. So just for sake of argument, Paul says, I become all things to all men that I might win some. So whatever Bible you have, whatever version you're using, a New King James or whatever, you'll be able to get the text of the message, okay? So please understand that. When we're talking about dealing with emotions, the doctors help me understand a lot of things like, Pastor, remember this. He said, when Israel lost Moses, the country was called to go a 40-day a uh, time of mourning, a time of prayer, setting aside, no work, everybody just shut down. And they had to process their loss. And the psychiatrist I'm seeing, this PhD out at the VA hospital, he says to me, he says, how much time do you take to process each loss you experience? And I said, uh, well, whatever time I have. He said, like when you lost your best friend, and you lost your closest brother, the, the officer that led me to Christ, the uh, police officer who immigrated from Matamotas, Mexico, came over as a 12-year-old, got his education, got on the police department, became a young sergeant. He's the one that led me to Christ. And for 40 years, he mentored me. He died about a month ago, six weeks ago from COVID. And he died. And these loss that you feel, 
my mom died, my best friends died, two police officers in the line of duty died, four officers retired died, people around it, the neighbor died. And, it, and the guy says, how much, how much time are you taking to process that? And I said, uh, I'm not sure I've taken any time. He says, so if God knew and he directed the nation of Israel to set aside 40 days to fast and mourn and pray and deal with it and think about their loss and appreciate his influence in their lives and how they're going to go on from there, how much more valuable it is to do that for every loss we suffer? And then God begins to add up the losses you've suffered. Not three or four, not a dozen, hundreds over a year. Thousands and tens of thousands over a lifetime. And I realized I hadn't really processed any of those. So emotions and feelings became very evident to me. You know I have my doctor degree in counseling, major in ministry, but uh, highlighted in counseling. And I do that. I love that because I'm, I want to take God's message and always make it practical. How can it make you a better person this week? How can it make your life enrich? How can it help you get through? And a lot of things God is showing me, even as I go through therapy, don't ever be afraid of therapy. It's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of maturity. When you know you need help, you go to a doctor, right? Whether it's medically, physically, or financially, or anywhere else. When you need help, you get help, okay? It will make you a better person. It will keep you in the game. But as I'm dealing with things, I'm seeing things that I have really had never seen before. They're becoming alive to me even after 43 years. My daughters hate my birthday time. They hate my Christmas time because they don't know what to get me. Tina and I are the same way. They look at us and they go, y'all don't need anything. And anything you do need, you just go buy. <laughs> that is the benefit of 65. We're at the age now that I don't have to wait till some birthday. I just, I, want, I just go get it, right? And they said, it kills us, Dad. I mean, we don't know what to get you. I said, I'll give you a list, <laughs> you, know? you know. I'll try to make it very simple, you know. You know if, I, if I say I want a, a, a golf pass, I'm not looking for a new T-shirt. I mean, you know, I'm telling you. But it really affects them. And I think about as we go into the holiday season, what gift could you receive that would really affect your life in a mighty way. And then I think about God's word, and I think about all the gifts he's given us. The gift of having a constant companion in the Holy Spirit. The gift of constant direction through the word of God. The gift of prayer. The gift of a church family that supports us, lifts us up. They care about you. They're checking up on you. They, they're, they're following up on you. They, they want to know how you're doing. And then I think about personally the lessons in which Jesus teaches us. We have a lot of emotions, don't we? Somebody name off an emotion. There's no wrong emotion. Better emotions, better answers, no wrong answer. What's an emotion? That's wrong. Uh, I'm, I'm just playing. See, you set, you set them up and then you knock them down, right? <laughs> Some of y'all been in with me a long time. You know not to go there, right? <laughs> but we know we have love and we have hate, Right? We know we have joy and we have sadness. We have laughter, we have tears. There's, there's such a wide range of emotion. We have anxiety and then we have peace. Okay? These emotions govern your life. Did you know the Bible says in, in Proverbs 23, 7, that as a man thinketh in his heart, so shall he be? So if you feel like a loser, how are you going to act? Feel like you're no good, how do you act? You feel like nobody loves you, what do you feel like? No one loves you, and you learn to push people away, right? 
You feel hungry, what does that mean? Oh, go eat. Okay, but anyway, that's another story, right? But your emotions will govern. In psychology 101, we always teach this principle. Always remember this, especially if you have children in your life and small children in your, in your circle. Always remember this. Your thinking will always adjust your attitude. And your attitude will always adjust your behavior. If you have inappropriate behavior, you can trace it back to your thinking. If a man feels like he's a loser, he'll act like a loser. So we deal with him being a loser, but what we should be dealing with is dealing with his thinking of why he feels like he's a loser. The greatest Christmas gift I think God can give us is if we can get a hold of some of the emotions we feel. And I want to talk about two of those today that are maybe among the top things that govern our life. Anger and guilt. Anger and guilt. Now, let me make it more practical to you. Let me make it more common sense because sometimes you have anger. How many of y'all suffer from anger at times? Did you know the Bible says to be angry? Everybody know that? Yeah, Paul wrote to the church in Ephesians, in Ephesians 4.27, he said, be angry, but sin not. In other words, don't let it control you. Don't act out. You can be angry. You can be upset about something. That's human being. If you're not upset about it, there's a problem with you. I tell my officers, I don't want you to be meek people. I mean, I don't want you to be weak, but I want you to be meek. I want you to be power under control. I want you to get upset when you see something wrong, so you'll step in and try to stop it or try to help. Jesus is not trying to raise up weak people and passive people who don't really get involved. Evil always triumphs when good men don't get involved. And that's good people, not just to leave the ladies out, okay? But two things I want to address this morning, going into the holiday season, is this. And, and matter of fact, I was a little bit surprised. Pastor, how, how often do you do the Lord's Supper? How long do you, how often do you do that? Once a month? Once a, once a month? I was really caught off guard. I, I didn't participate because I wasn't ready. I, I believe the Bible says pray about it and think about it and clear your heart and, and, you know, just let God examine you. Because some people are sick and some people will even die if they take the Lord's Supper lightly. It's a very serious thing. And I was kind of caught off guard because... I said, well, I, I, I got to, where's my mind at? <laughs> but the greatest gift God can give you this holiday season, if you can get a hold, get a control of some of your emotions. If you can start building on faith that would overcome your fear, you would not be immobilized. You would be very effective. You would take on challenges, right? When we talk about fear and guilt, let me make it practical. People say, well, I'm not really sure how I feel, I think I am a little angry. I don't know why I'm angry, but let me, let me share. Here, here's, here's the two things that make it very common for you, fear and guilt, okay? Think about it this way. Do you feel like anybody owes you anything? If you feel like you're owed, you'll deal with anger. If you feel that you owe somebody, you normally will deal with guilt, Has anybody ever felt disrespected by a loved one? You don't have to raise your hands. I think, it's a, I think it's a known answer, right? You had a mom and dad let you down, hurt you, abuse you, neglect you. I know I did. That's how I was raised. Causes a young man to have a lot of anger. You ever had a spouse disappoint you, break their promises, not come through for you? That can cause anger. Have you ever had a church sometimes you weren't highlighted or, or given the appreciation and what you thought you deserved 
that was owed you, anger will, will set in. Have you ever gone to work and worked yourself and went the extra mile and gave more and they gave you less and maybe even less credit and you say, no, I don't deserve this. I, I, I'm worth more than this and I deserve more pay and I deserve better benefits. Anger begins to set in. When somebody hurts your feelings, you say, you owe me an apology. Right? You expect it and you want, you believe you are owed that apology. You want an acknowledgement of that offense and how you hurt me. And that anger sets in. When we talk about guilt, we're talking about, uh, let me kind of clarify this thing. We're talking about true guilt and false guilt. There's a lot of what we call false guilt, right? My grandkids can come to me and say, well, Papa, you can't slam dunk a basketball. I said at 65 and 240, probably not going to happen, Okay. But then again, when I was 165 at 20, I couldn't do it either, okay? But that's all I say. I don't have to feel guilty about what I can't do. I don't ever have to feel guilty of what I, what I don't have to provide or, or, or how I can't bless you. I, I don't have to ever feel guilty. That's false guilt. And people in this world, people surround you will put false guilt on you. They want to put shame on you and embarrassment and make you feel guilty and make you feel less because of what you don't have. That's false skill. You don't have to accept that. You do, however, have to accept and take ownership of true guilt. You gave an oath. You gave a commitment. You made a bond. You gave your word. You're held accountable unto God to live up to it. And if we're all honest, we have all failed somebody. So what do we do about that? Well, the Bible says when God reveals to you that fault, he shows you your wicked ways or your your immaturity, your, your complacency, your apathy, your thoughtlessness, your whatever it is, when God reveals it to you, he says, go and make it right. You see, sometimes Christians go like, well, I'll, I've asked God to forgive me and, I, and I'm forgiven. No, no, that's, that's, that's a large, large part of it. And the Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins and wash you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. That is the truth of God's word. But it also makes very clear that we ought to go back and make restitution when possible. Sometimes we can't. Sometimes it's too far gone. Sometimes the people that we even hurt, we can't make right because they're gone. I mean, sometimes it's out of our hands. But the Bible says when God reveals to you, you've done something wrong. You stole something from work. You need to make it right. You need to go pay it back. You need to, to give it back to them. You, you, need, you need to go make that right. Somebody said, well, you let me down. And you say, you told me you would be here and you weren't here. Well, I, I need to own up to that. I need to ask you to forgive me. You see, because that's going to, the moment you confess it, that begins to relieve that guilt. The guilt only stays, that, that uncomfortableness only stays when you won't acknowledge it. But the Bible says, if you will confess your sins to God in 1 John 1, 9, if you will confess it, the word confess means to own up to it. If you would own up to it, God is faithful to forgive you. He can relieve that guilt off you. And pretty soon, you know what that's going to do? It's going to relieve that sense of guilt that somehow you owe somebody. We all owe a price to God that we cannot pay. Everybody understands that? The wages, what are wages? The wages is what you earn, what you get paid for. Your wage, the wages of your sin is death. You deserve to go to hell. That's a heavy payment. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. 
The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. In other words, God's going to pay a debt that you and I could not pay. But I don't walk around in guilt and shame of my sins because I have acknowledged it. I've owned up to it. I take ownership of it, and I needed to make it right. And the only thing I could make it right is through Jesus Christ. I've gone to a Catholic service this week. Uh, I was raised Catholic, so I'm very familiar with that. But I went to a Catholic service that was doing a burial for a friend. And they talk about if you're baptized as a baby, you're baptized into the kingdom of God. So you can live any way you want to as long as you're baptized as a baby. And then the priest says, well, God gives you the keys to heaven, and the way you get that key on earth is you live good enough and honest enough and helpful enough and be used enough and love people enough that you'll get that key to go to heaven. I remember what the Apostle Paul said in Galatians 2.21, I do not void the grace of God, for if righteousness came by the keeping of the law or doing anything right or anything we could do to do it, Christ died for nothing. The only reason he died is because I couldn't pay the price that I owed. But I don't walk with guilt any longer. I've sinned against God. I've confessed it to him. I've apologized to him, and I've received his gift of salvation. If Jesus teaches something in the Bible, is it pretty important? I mean, you've got to think that if he recorded in his word for all times, I've got to think that there's got to be some, some value to it. Now, what if he teaches something over two times or three times or four times, or he says it repeatedly? Do you think he's really, really focus really serious about us understanding what he's trying to get across to us. So let's deal with just a little bit about that anger that we often are molded by, shaped by, influenced by because of our feelings. Somebody owes us something. An apology, an acknowledgement, a payment, so let's look what Jesus has to say about this, okay? I, I learned these things. You know, when, when, uh, when I went to Bible college many, many years ago, I'm an old man now, but many, many years ago when I went to Bible college, like 40 years ago, there was so much I learned in that before I went to seminary, but they taught so much, but I never forgot certain lessons that just like stayed with me forever. I mean, they were so impactful. And I remember one day that we had a, a professor and he was teaching in the Gospels and he was sharing a story in Luke, the 18th chapter. And you don't have to turn there. That's not the message this morning. But in, in Luke, the 18th chapter, he was sharing a message about that two men went into the temple to pray. And one was a Sadducee, a religious leader, leader okay? He was a very pious, very upright religious leader, at least in his own mind. And the other guy was a publican or a tax collector. He was a thief and a robber and no good and the dirt of the earth and everybody hate him, much like tax collectors today. All right? so, so, and they both go in and the Pharisee goes, Lord, I come before you and I am so glad I'm not like him. I fast. I pray. I got the finest Bible. I wear the nicest clothes. I give to the poor. I do so much. I am so glad I'm not like that low life. And the low life, the tax collector, the publican says, oh, God. The Bible said he couldn't even raise up his eyes towards heaven. He just, oh, God, have mercy on me. I don't even know how you can deal with me. I don't know how you can ever accept me. But, Lord, I confess to you I'm a sinner. I'm a worthless scum, and I need to be saved. Oh, God, I'm trusting in you. And Jesus said, which one do you think went away justified in God's eyes? Now, let me, the professor asked us, he said, now, young, young men, all of us getting ready for the ministry. Now, young men, how many of y'all felt that anger at that Pharisee that was so self-righteous looking down at him? 
We all raised our hand. Boy, it just makes me so mad. What a low life. He said, you just became that Pharisee. Because you're looking down upon him. Like, you're glad you're not like him. And your words just indicated you are him. Mind blown. Really affected me from that point on. Like, it's not whether I think I'm better than somebody else. It's that I am nobody in Christ except who he made me through his love and grace. I have nothing to offer him. I have everything received of him. But let's look at this. There's another story kind of like that that I want you to pick up on when we talk about this anger. In the Gospel of Matthew, the 18th chapter, when we talk about in verses 23 through 35, Jesus is teaching a parable. Does anybody know what a parable is? How would you explain a parable? All y'all, y'all been in church so long and everybody says parables and read about parables, but they, they oftentimes don't really know. A parable is a heavenly truth taught in earthly applications. Do you think by any shape or form that we're ready to receive heavenly truth the way heavenly truth is seen? I mean, it, it just, it would just, we'd disintegrate. We'd blow up, right? His thoughts are greater than our thoughts. His ways are greater than our ways. And so God has to sometimes take this heavenly truth. He really wants something that will impact life, but he's got to bring it down to earthly application so you can grab a hold of it. This is one of these situations where Jesus is now saying, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a certain king, which would have take account of his servants. In other words, he's doing inventory, if you would. He's doing his accounting. And when he had begun to reckon these things, to balance the books and looking at these things, there was one brought unto him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, I cannot really help you understand in today's terms how much that is. But it's more all of us put together in our whole lifetime, whatever, be able to accumulate. It's just, it's way beyond our imagination, okay? Now, keep that in mind because when we talk about owning a debt, it's way more than we can ever repay, right? And he says, but for as much as he had not it to pay, the Lord, the guy that he owed the money to, the king says, I command him to be sold, his wife and his children and all that he has, and payment be made, now, in that day, and I don't know if you know this, but in that day, God allowed slavery. Do you, do y'all, y'all aware of that? It wasn't slavery that we've known and how the world got wicked and everything, but slavery was a way for people like to buy land or to pay off bills. They would, they would give themselves to a landowner or a servant and make themselves servants to a person for a number of years. Uh, normally, you couldn't go more than seven years. But they said, I want to buy that land, so I work for you for three years. And they would be a servant, a slave to that landowner for three years, and then the land would be debt-free. And so that's how they would do it. So it was custom that you would have to go be a servant or you'd be sold off to, to a highest bidder to pay your debt. That was very custom. But the servant, the guy that owed that 10,000 talents, the servant fell down and he worshiped him saying, Lord. And he's saying, Lord, because you're the one that's got control of me. I, I'm indebted to you. Lord, have patience with me. I will pay thee all I owe. Now, he wasn't saying he didn't owe it. Okay, this is, all these things are very important. He wasn't saying he didn't owe it. And he wasn't saying that it was his responsibility to pay it back. He's literally saying, you know, give me some time. Give me a little credit. Uh, give me a little, a, little, a little leeway here, right? The Lord was so moved with this servant. He was moved with compassion. Do you know the difference between being concerned and compassion? 
See, all of us have concern about starving children in Egypt or whatever, or Ethiopia, but compassion is moved beyond concern and actually do something about it, right? The king had concern for this guy, but now he's moved with compassion. He's literally going to do something to help the situation. He was moved with compassion, and he loosed him, and he forgave his debts. Now, he didn't say, I'm going to give you more time. I'm going to give you three months. I'm going to give you another year. you got to pay this back. You're going to add interest. He didn't say that. He said, I'm going to forgive your debts. I imagine this guy might not could even believe what he heard, that the king would forgive his debt. But that same servant who had his debt forgiven, he went out and he found another one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 pence. And he laid hands on him and he took him by the throats and he said, pay me what you owe me. And his fellow servants fell down on his feet and besought him, saying, please, please, have patience with me. I, I will repay you. And he would not, and he went out, and he cast him into prison until he could pay that debt. Y'all see a very clear picture, right? I don't even have to do much explaining here, right? One guy owes more money than maybe you can ever even really fathom. The king so moved when he says, listen, I forgive your debt. First of all, always remember this. The king didn't need it. <laughs> People think they're going to go back and pay back God. You ain't going to pay back God. God don't need you. God wants you. God loves you. He don't need you. you have, we don't need bankers in the church. We don't need plumbers in the church. We don't, God's not short of anything. We have nothing in which to offer him. He doesn't need us. He desires us, and he calls for us. And so anyway, the guy goes and he forgives this great multitude. Let's just say it's a million dollars, $10 million. He's just forgiven it all. And the guy goes, wow, can't believe that. Unbelievable. Hey, wait a minute. Hey, Joe, come here. Joe, don't you owe me $100? Well, yeah, I, I do owe you. I, can't, I, I do owe you. I'm sorry. I, but be patient with me, and I'll give you. Ain't no way in the world, man. You've already overdue. You already owe me. You're already behind. I'll give you no more time. Pick him up, arrest him, put him in prison. Sell all he has. In your mind, you're thinking, wow, what a cold-blooded rascal. Careful, <laughs> careful. Remember, we already learned that lesson. <laughs> All right, careful. We've been forgiven a great debt, and then we go out, and we expect people to owe us to pay up. And look what it says here. And so when his fellow servants, these other people in the business, they saw what was done, they were very sorry, and they came and told their Lord all that was done, the king, if you would. And then his Lord, after he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee of all your debt because you asked me, you desired this of me. Should not thou have also had compassion on thy fellow servants and even had pity on them like I had pity on you? And the Lord was wrought and he delivered them unto the tormentors until he could pay all that was due him. So likewise shall your heavenly Father do also unto you if from your hearts forgive not every one of his brothers their trespasses. Now the Lord said it, right? Can anybody dispute that? The Lord said it. Hey, Pastor, how long do we get to go? Now remember, his singing didn't count as part of my message, okay? He, he had one song in there. I love praise and worship. I get caught up. He had one song in there. I didn't know if it had an ending. I didn't know. Is there? How do we? How do we? In this thing, like I don't, do not count that as part of my message, right? All right. There, there we go. You go to the headed class, all right? You, you get the apple, all right? And, 
And, and so the Lord has already taught us this thing very clearly. It's very clear, okay? We owe a great debt. We cannot pay it. God, I need your mercy. God, I ain't got nothing to pay it. I ain't no way I could ever pay it. And my life will never be good enough to pay for my salvation. And God says, I love you. Listen, I have compassion on you. Forgive you everything you've ever done. And then we go out to our wives. We go out to our husbands. We go out to our parents. We go to our children. We go to our teachers. We go to our playmates. We go to our fellow workers. We go to the store. We go to the community. We go to church, and we tell everybody, hey, you owe me. You owe me an apology. You owe me appreciation. You owe me a gift. You owe me pay. You owe me. And the king in heaven sitting there going, time out. Come here for a minute. Didn't I just forgive you everything in your whole life? Your sorriness? Almost nothing they could possibly do to you would be worse than what you've done to me. Because you nailed my son to the cross. You took my child for your sinfulness. What could they possibly ever have done to you that they could not be forgiven? Corrie Tim Boone, when she was a prisoner in Nazi German concentration camps, and she would hold Bible studies for the ladies and the girls, and she was evilly treated by the Nazi guards and beaten and, and whipped and put in dungeons in the bottom of the pit and lice all over her bodies. And when they were finally set free, they asked Miss Timboom, said, how would you ever find it in your heart to be able to forgive these, these guards and these people who did this to you? And Corey Timboom said this. She said, I realized to forgive someone, to release them of their debt is to set a prisoner free. And that prisoner was me. She realized that that anger and that wrath that she felt towards these people who had done her wrong, who owed her, would only keep her in prison in her own anger. Please understand this. I don't want to make a mistake. The pain, the rejection, the hurt, the neglect that you have felt in your life by people, sometimes the closest people in your life, like my mom, my dad, sometimes my pastors, some of the greatest hurt I've ever felt came from some of the closest people. And it was real. We, we don't acknowledge. There was a debt made. But instead of waiting for them to be able to pay it off or ever want to pay it off or ever come to a point where they could pay it off, God would help me to start finding healing by saying, I forgive you. When we say forgiveness, it's very important, right? Look, look what Jesus, now, remember, if he emphasizes it once, it, it's really important. If he emphasizes more, more than that, it's, it's even more important. Hello, hello. Yeah, it was time. You did that on purpose. Special, special taser just for you.
might be a little uncomfortable, but long long as it's on and as long as it stays on we'll be good thank you pastor and so now look at what jesus is saying now in in matthew the sixth chapter some people call it the lord's prayer you you know the lord's prayer right you know i I talk to catholics all the time and i said how many y'all can quote scriptures and they said well we never learned the bible we don't know scriptures i said well sure you do they go, no, Pastor, we haven't. I said, no, sure you do. I, I was a Catholic, I know. You learn to quote Matthew, the sixth chapter, beginning in verse 7. Jesus said, but when you pray, do not use vain repetition as the heathen do, for they think they'll be heard for their much speaking. But be not therefore liken unto them, for your heavenly Father knoweth what things you have need of, even before you ask him. But Jesus gives us the model prayer, not just that we would say these words, but we would understand the model of these words. But after this manner, pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now what does he say there? Listen, this is very, very important. Give us our daily bread, the nourishment, the meat, the fuel we need for today. And it's followed up by giving us the power, giving us the energy to do this. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Jesus says prayer. Acknowledge God. Understand who he is. Understand your need for him. Pray his will be done. What is his will? It's found out in his word. Live his word. Act his word. Preach his word. Proclaim his word. Live his word. Ask him for the strength you need to do what he's calling you to do. I think that was one of our songs this morning. I can't do it on my own. I've got to, I've got to depend on you. I've got to trust in you. I need you to help me to do what you want me to do. Because the first thing he mentions is forgive those who owe you. As you've been forgiven. Now look what, that's very important. He said, lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For that is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And then he says this. He goes back and he refers back to that one point. In the 14th verse of Matthew 6, he says, For if we forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive us. But if we forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. Now, let me say this to you. Christian living is hard. I don't know. I hope you're a Christian. I hope everybody here has come to a place in their life and they said, I need Jesus Christ as my Savior. If you've never done that, I hope you'll do that today. I hope you'll, before you leave those doors, just simply say, God, I realize I need saving. I need forgiveness. I need my debt cleaned. I need you to be my ransom, my propitiation, and give Christ your life. But I want to make no mistakes about it. Whether you have become Christian or you're thinking about becoming a Christian, understand this. Christian lives are called to be different than the world. You know what the Bible calls you? Peculiar people. Look around. You'll notice there's a lot of peculiar people among you, right? God says you don't operate like the world does. The world keeps record. They're taking stock of everything that's owed them, everything somebody did to them, everything somebody has. They're keeping records. Like that king, he's looking at that ledger. He goes, man, let me bring it out, man. Remember all these people? Look what they did. Look what they owe me. Here's what he says about Christians. Listen, this, this is deep stuff. This is deep Christianity stuff, okay? 
He said, I want you as believers and followers of Christ, and it goes all the way back even to the Old Testament teachings, that when you lend somebody something, two things. Never charge them usury. Now, you know what usury is? That's interest. We are not allowed in God's word to charge anybody interest. Now, I do want you to understand, we're not talking about business work. You're in a business, you're a banker, you're an investor. You got, we're not talking about that. Please understand that. They are allowed to charge interest for a payment. But as Christians, helping widows, helping orphans, helping the down and out, the poor, our brothers and sisters in Christ, we are never allowed to charge them interest. We don't benefit off their need. You might not agree with it, and you might not practice it, but I don't care. You'll answer to God, not to me, okay? Because God says these are the principles that are taught. The second thing, this is even greater than charging somebody interest. The Bible says, and Jesus speaks of this, is that when you give to somebody, don't even expect it to come back. Wow. That takes a whole nother level of maturity. And I'm going to be real honest with you. I speak to thousands of Christians a month. I speak to thousands, tens of thousands a year. I doubt if I met a church full of Christians that had that level of maturity that they could lend out and not expect it back. Nothing wrong if people want to pay you back, people want to give it back. Nothing wrong with that. We want to encourage them. That's a good thing. That's an honorable thing. That's a, that's a good thing. We're not just saying, hey, here, give it to you. Don't worry about it. Don't no, say, no, I'm going to try to help you. And if they mature and they grow, they should be wanting to pay back. One of the, that also that took me off the streets, that also that was raised from Mexico, he was a worker, man. He was a, he was a solid worker. And he taught me a lot about being a young man. And he said, anytime I borrow something, make sure it came back better than it was when you took it. Make sure it was clean. Make sure it was sharpened. Make sure that it was oiled. Make sure that you had it better than when you took it. That was a great lesson. How come we're not teaching that stuff in churches? Because I tell you what, a lot of times the world is mad, not at each other because they treat each other like they do, but a lot of times they're mad at Christians they know, and they say, man, they're no better than we are. They're demanding. They want more. They're expecting. The Bible says when we lend something to somebody, don't expect it to come back. If it comes back, it's a blessing. But the truth matter, it might not come back. If you expect that that's going to come back because they owe you and they don't bring it back, how are you going to feel? Angry. Because they owed you. They need to replace that chainsaw. I had a pastor come by. I wanted to borrow my chainsaw. I didn't know he was going to cut mesquite wood down long ways because he's trying to make nice little things on the wall. To, to placards. He was having a good time, but he burnt up my chainsaw. He goes, here it is. It stopped working. I don't know what's wrong with it. <laughs> no problem. We'll look at it. And I just dropped it in the trash can. $189, $200. I'd like to point out to him that it's not meant to cut that way, and you should bring it back better than it was. But I never was angry about it because the day he borrowed it is as though it might not come back. And if you already resigned yourself to that, then you're not going to live with anger because anger is a cancer. 
It will kill you. It will eat away at you. And here's the funny thing about it. People don't seem to realize this, but when you're angry at somebody, they probably don't even know about it. They're probably sleeping fine. There's times I've gone to bed so angry at my wife. Oh, I forgot she's here. Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> she's normally not here when I say that. But there's, there's times that you get so angry and, 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 and she, they're over there sleeping. I want nothing like, hey, wake up. I'm mad. The next day, I said, well, how'd you sleep? I didn't sleep well at all. I was, I was just upset. Well, what were you upset about? I was upset about something last night. I go, why don't you say something? I didn't even see that. I didn't even know that. I didn't mean that. That's why the Bible says, be angry, but sin not. And let not the sun go down on your wrath. Because it physiologically will make you sick. You'll lose sleep. It'll mess up your diet. It'll mess up your motivation to work out. It'll mess up your confidence to be out among other people. And you're dealing with other people. And you're starting to be harsh with other people. Why? Because somebody else back there hurt you. They don't even know about it. But you're angry. Why? Because they owe you. You see how crazy this is? This is deep stuff, Christianity. I'm talking about deep stuff. Don't charge. Don't expect to make a profit off a brother or sister or somebody in need. Don't do that. We don't live that way. But on top of that, give, not expecting it to return. Very few Christians have that kind of debt. Jesus summed it up with this in Matthew, the sixth chapters, verses 20 and 21. But lay up yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor dust does corrupt, and neither where thieves come in and break through and steal. But where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What am I saying? I don't know half the time. That's usually why I bring my wife and remind me what I was saying. Very simple. I'll try to close it up. We got to get out of here. Anybody, anybody got places to go? Y'all don't have no homes? No home, all homeless people? Okay. Let me just say this. Thank you for letting me go a little longer. Thank you for we're, we're running over. But I just really felt impressed. I've never preached this message anywhere else. I don't know why God was preparing it for another church. He canceled that. I don't know why I'm here, and I don't know why I'm bringing it to you. I don't know. But I've learned to trust God. I learned just to trust God. Because I believe if you're human, if you're sucking air, I call you a dirt clod, you know. The Bible says we're made out of, we're made out of dust, right? So we are no more than dirt clods that are sucking air by God's grace. That's what we are. How can one dirt cloud judge another dirt cloud? How can one dirt cloud say, I'm better than you, a dirt cloud? No, we're just dirt clods where, where the minerals of the ground put together. God breathed life into us by his grace. But we're just dirt clods. But the truth of the matter is you can be an effective dirt cloud. You can have potential. You can be used. But it means you have to take control of your emotions. We got a whole list. I could do probably 20 messages on this. The two things that I guilt and anger. Do you feel like somebody owes you anything? Forgive them. Forgive their debt. They might still pay back. They might still come apology. They, they might still make right. But you, we don't know. But for your sake, just forgive them. Wouldn't that be a great holiday gift to somebody? Wouldn't it be a great holiday gift to you just to say you don't owe me anything? And then if they're talking about guilt, 
God lays on your heart, there's something that you can take care of, you can make right, you can repay, then do it. It'd be a testimony to you. It'd be a testimony to God's grace. It'd be a testimony to the people you're helping. Just go to them and say, I want to make it right. And God will be honored. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let me just close by saying, Father God, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness, your grace, your mercy, your kindness, your long-suffering, your patience. Lord, we can't thank you enough. We are dirt clouds that suck air by your grace. And we pray, Lord, as you breathe life into us, we would have a commitment that's greater than the commitment of the world. We don't act like the rest of them. We don't try to justify our lives as though we're better than them, Lord, because we're not better than them. We're just saved. We're different. We have a new power in us, which is Christ and the Holy Spirit. But I pray today, Lord, that we would learn to see when our anger comes up, when, our, when we get angry about anything, at our parents, at our loved ones, our spouses, when we get angry at our bosses, we would stop and say, wait a minute, am I angry because I feel they owe me something? And if so, Lord, help me to release some of that debt as you have released me of all my debt. Help me to be free from anger and free from guilt in a glorious way unto your glory. If you're here today and you have never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this would be a great day. You say, preacher, I want to know Jesus Christ as my Savior. I want to go to heaven. I want God to forgive me of my debt. Would you just raise your hand? I'll pray for you. While everyone's praying, no one's looking around, just raise your hand and say, preacher, pray for me. Just pray for me. Anyone else? Preacher, pray for me. I want to know Christ as my Savior. Thank you. You can put your hand down. All you have to do is simply say, God, I owe you a debt. I've sinned against you. I owe you a debt. I cannot pay. I ask you, Lord, to have compassion on me and to forgive me that debt. And as you forgive me, Lord, help me to be able to forgive those around me and in my life that I have to forgive their debt against me. Is there anybody here today say, Brother Danny, I have people, when you were preaching, people came to my mind that I know hurt me, that I feel owe me. Brother Danny, pray for me that I have the strength to go to them or maybe this week and just release them of that debt. Is there anybody here say, Brother Danny, that's me? Just raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Just anyone else? Is there anyone else? There's people in my life that hurt me, a spouse, a family, an ex-spouse, a a husband, a wife, a mom, a dad, a, a, a son, a daughter, a worker, a fellow classmate. Brother Danny, help me to deal with my anger by releasing them of the debt they owe me. Father God, as you see these hands go up, these people are reaching out by faith, trusting, Lord, that your word will speak to them, and they would have the power, the energy. You'd give them that daily bread, that resource of fuel, that they would have what they need to accomplish what you ask them to do, to go to another level of Christianity, Lord. Another level of not just saying, Lord, that I'm going to lend to you. I want to lend to you, but I'm not going to charge you extra. I'm not going to make anything off you. But not only that, I'm not even going to expect it back. If it comes back, great, but I want to go to a level of maturity that I don't even expect it back. And if it doesn't come back, I'm not going to be angry about it because I let it go. Lord, help us understand we own nothing in our own lives. We don't own cars and houses and cattle. We don't own anything, Lord. Everything we have is yours. We're not even losing anything of our own because we don't have anything of our own. It's all unto you, Lord. Pray that you use this message to strengthen this church. And then we go into a great holiday season with less anger and with less guilt. Unto your honor, unto your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you, Pastor.
appreciate you. Thank you. Wow, what a good message. Amen. I was like, yeah, forgiveness. Okay, well, if anybody needs prayer, you know, just seek us out. You know, we're here. Um, and I guess that's it. I got nothing more to add. So blessings on you guys as you go. And you are dismissed. <laughs>